John chapter 3 is perhaps one of the most famous passages in the Bible. This evening when people gather around their TV sets or in, in bars around this country and frankly all around the world, there will be somebody in the crowd somewhere almost certainly holding up a big card saying John 3.16. Because it's the most famous verse perhaps in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that, that verse comes in the midst of a conversation between two people, Jesus and a man called Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus at this point doesn't seem to be a disciple but perhaps because of this conversation becomes a disciple, at first a secret disciple who at the death of Jesus along with his friend Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus and find a place for Jesus to be buried. And so we know that that Nicodemus is going through one of these heart-wrestling times, one of, these, one of these moments in his life when he's really considering what are the important things of life. But as yet, he's not able to get out from the shadows of his own private struggle. At night, he comes to Jesus. Let's read the story here in John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, I know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, we'll continue with the passage in a moment, but let's just make sure that we understand what's going on here. Because Jesus doesn't appear to be responding to something that Nicodemus is saying. Nicodemus has come under the cover of darkness. He doesn't want people to know that he's seeking counsel from Jesus. In those days, a world lit only by fire, remember? In those days, walking through the streets of any city was a perilous was a perilous task. Walking around after dark was not something that people did. It was only the people who were engaged in nefarious kinds of behavior that would normally be out at, at night. And here is Nicodemus, in a way, risking his reputation, but in many ways covering his tracks, coming to find Jesus by way of darkness and um, he says I know that you're from God because the amazing things that you're doing mean that you must be from God and then Jesus says well no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again it, it seems like they're kind of missing each other what's going on well perhaps this is what's going on Nicodemus, as is revealed later on in the text, would be called a teacher of Israel. He's a Pharisee. He's a leader of the, of the ruling council of, of Jerusalem, of Israel. He is a person that others will look to for guidance and wisdom. And so as a teacher of Israel, he's looking at Jesus, another teacher, and he's comparing 
the effect. He's comparing their capacity. He's comparing their influence and power. And when he looks at Jesus, he thinks, I'm a, I'm a teacher of Israel, and yet the things that Jesus teaches are demonstrated with miracles, with signs and with wonders. Those are, those are the things that are perhaps going through his mind. And so the implicit question that's not spoken but that Jesus addresses is this. How come I don't see the things that you see as a teacher? How come, how come as a teacher, just like you, I don't see all of these amazing things? And then Jesus says, well, here's the thing. You can't see the kingdom of God demonstrated in these miracles unless you're born again. Immediately, Nicodemus is on territory that he understands. He understands how to debate. He understands how to use irony. He understands how to use rhetoric. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Immediately, Nicodemus wants to press in and discover what it is that, that Jesus knows that he doesn't. What is it that this, that this born again thing is all about? And Jesus speaks about two births. He speaks about the natural birth, the birth with the water, the amniotic fluid, the, 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 the way in which everyone is born. He says, he says, everyone is born of the flesh. You have a physical mother. You need a spiritual mother. This is perhaps why down through the centuries, the Holy Spirit has often been postured as, as being the more female expression of the Godhead. Because it is the Spirit who gives birth to us. And we know that it's women who give birth and so here's the Spirit being represented as the means by which we go through the second birth, the spiritual birth, the birth that needs to take place for us to see the kingdom. Jesus is putting pressure on Nicodemus to recognize that even though he's known the birth of water, the physical birth, as yet he has not experienced the spiritual birth, the birth that can only come by the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. He's used irony. He knows that, of course, no one can re-enter their mother's womb. He's, he's used this kind of rhetorical way of, of conversing, but now he's, he's flummoxed. How can this be? Verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, I speak to you 
of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus is wanting Nicodemus to understand something. He wants him to understand what it is that he is able to do to give him the opportunity to be born again. And he speaks about something that can be only understood from a heavenly perspective. He says, we, that is, he and the Spirit, have, of course, been in heaven. He is the Son of Man, the, 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 the phrase, the, the strap line that is attached to the Messiah. The Son of Man has been to heaven, and from heaven he is able to gain a, an entirely different perspective on the events of earth. And one particular event he wants to highlight because he wants Nicodemus to understand that he's on the path to transformation. But the path to transformation requires that he looks in the right direction to be able to gain the destination that he seeks. The destination that he seeks is to see the kingdom of God, but he can't see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And he cannot be born again unless he looks in the direction of the Son. He makes reference to something that happened in the desert. The people of Israel have escaped slavery in Egypt, and they've come to a broad and expansive, desperate and desolate landscape called the Desert of Sinai. There in the desert, God meets with them, provides them water and food. And this food is, is like crackers with, with honey. And this is an amazing, kind of, an amazing kind of food that sustains them through the day, all through their journeys in the desert. This manna from heaven is amazing, but eventually the Israelites begin to grumble and say, well, we used to have different food. It'd be nice to have something else on the menu. And as they grumble, so they turn away from the God who has come to sustain and help them and reveal to the world that, that these are his people and that as his people, he will take care of them. And so it's a good idea to join this people. But instead of celebrating that, the Israelites begin to grumble and turn their face away from God. And as they turn their face away from God, they encounter venomous snakes, the symbol of the enemy of humanity, the snake, the serpent. And these serpents, these fiery serpents in the, in the camp of the Israelites are biting people 
and their venom is poisoning them and people are dying. And they call out and they cry out and they say, save us. And so Moses consults the Lord and he says, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord says, take a staff and, and wrap it around it, the symbol of a snake made of bronze, and hold it high above the people. And then what? And all they have to do is to look to the symbol of the serpent and they'll be saved and healed. Only look. Only turn away from the direction that you're facing right now and face the solution that God offers. And Jesus says, Jesus says, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when he's lifted up, he'll draw everyone to himself. So what is it that Jesus is saying here? He's saying this, he's saying, the symbol of the snake was what was needed for the people who were beset by serpents. The symbol of the serpent was what people needed to, to deal with the venom that was poisoning their bodies, killing them and taking their lives. What they needed to do was to look to the symbol that revealed to them the condition that they were in. Jesus says that that's what's going to happen when he's lifted up. He's, of course, referring to the cross. When Jesus is lifted on the cross, the New Testament tells us he became sin who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, he became sin so that we could be put right with God. What does that mean? It means this. The thing that's wrong with us, the thing that separates us, the thing that alienates us, is the condition called sin. Sin gives birth to sins, just in the same way that chickenpox gives birth to pimples. It's the condition that needs to be dealt with if the effect is to be, as it were, solved and salved. Jesus becomes the very thing that is our problem. What was the problem for the Israelites? Snakes. What does God do? He lifts up a snake in the hands of his representative. And as they look to that symbol, then they find the solution to the very thing that is symbolized right there. Jesus becomes sin. What does that mean? It means that Jesus becomes alienated, separated. Jesus becomes what we are in our ordinary nature. He becomes he becomes an enemy of God. Can you imagine? 
And in that moment, he is everything that is the problem of our life. Because the problem of our life is fundamentally that we're not connected to the Creator. The problem of our life, of our nation, of our culture, is that we're not connected to the one who created us. And because we're not connected, it means that we're not connected to the life force that is essential for us to continue to be alive and, and, and fruitful in life. And because that, that connection has been severed, we die physically, but we see the evidence of, of death all around us. We see the evidence of death and destruction and, and hardship and horror because we're separated from a good and loving creator and we want to find our own way. And what God does is he sends his son and his son becomes the condition that separates us from God. He becomes sin. And when you will turn to him and say, yes, that's what's wrong with me, then God says, I'll put right what's wrong. Now you may wonder, how that's possible. But in that turning, to look at the lifted up body of Jesus, you have chosen to find him as your solution and not yourself. To find God's answer, not your own. In that moment, you look and because you look, your heart begins to believe. And because you believe, the Spirit flows to you and gives you new life. You're born again. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. And you say to yourself, do you mean I only just need to look? Yeah. Because looking means turning towards Jesus. Looking means turning away from your own solution, your own answers. Looking to Jesus means that you're expecting Jesus not only to be the solution to your problem, but the way in which God will answer all of your needs once the fundamental problem has been solved. Jesus says, if you'll do this, if you will believe in God's answer, if you'll recognize that God loves you and that in his love, he sent his son to become the condition that separates you from him, if you'll believe that, you will have eternal life because God loves you. And Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. I know some of you have been in church for many years, and you've heard John 3.16, but you've never heard John 3.17. You've heard, yes, that if we believe in the Son, we have eternal life, but you've never heard Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. So many of you have heard 
believe in Jesus, condemn the world. John 3.17 is just as important as John 3.16 because John 3.17 is the means by which John 3.16 is possible. The fact that Jesus, the fact that the Father, the fact that the Spirit did not wipe their hands clean of us but decided not to condemn is the reason that he gives us life. As Jesus continues, obviously what's happening in your heart is happening in Nicodemus's heart. There's an inbreaking of God's revelation. God didn't come to condemn the world. And then Jesus goes on to say, you see, if if you will understand something, then you'll really get to the very heart of things, Nicodemus. And that is this, that you choose whether you live in condemnation or not, not God. Let me explain. The passage that we're looking at is full of metaphors and you know, you can't really improve on those metaphors because those metaphors are so powerful, so redolent with, with life and with power. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. If I move over here and the light doesn't follow me, it's hard to see me. I mean, you can see me, but it's hard for the folks on the live stream to see me. If I come back into the light, of course, everyone can see me. This is what it is that we do in life. Something catches our eye. Something, something kind of entertains our interest. And although our natural place is to live in the light of life, because of course we're creatures designed by God to be alive. We find ourselves drawn into the darkness and the darkness has a way of enveloping us, has a way of capturing us still further and we find ourselves immersed further and further into the darkness 
until we realize that now we can no longer see, now we can no longer navigate our life, now we can no longer help the people around us to find the solutions that they need. What we need is to come back into the light. Jesus says this, the verdict is very clear. People have loved darkness rather than light. Darkness means that you're pretty much on your own. But being on your own means that your life is not available for inspection. Being in the light means that you're living in the light of life, which is fantastic, but of course, everything's available for observation. Your life is on display. Nicodemus came at night to see Jesus. A religious person. A person who was afraid of religious exposure because he knew what religious people would do with that exposure. He's lived his whole life living up to an external standard. He's lived his whole life living up to an external code that he can never keep. And so he covers his tracks and makes his life look better than it actually is. He, he lives his life with two faces, a face towards the world that looks holy, that looks complete, that looks like it's together, and the real face behind the mask, which is living in pain and struggle and difficulty and internal conflict. Jesus knows why Nicodemus came to him at night. Nicodemus prefers the darkness to the light. All religious people do. Because living in the light is always, is always accompanied with the fear of exposure. And when we're exposed, we're ashamed. When we're ashamed, we're made to feel guilty. When we're guilty, we fear the consequences of that exposure. Jesus says to Nicodemus, come into the light. Come into the light of life. And where is it? When you look at the sun, the sun who's lifted up, who is the solution for the things that you're battling every day. You see, every day you're battling. You're managing your sin. You're, you're hoping that you're overcoming your temptations. Every day, every day you struggle with the same things that everybody else struggles with. But if instead of struggling in the shadows, you'll turn to look at the solution because the solution tells you that you are not condemned. Nothing that you've done condemns you. Nothing that you've thought condemns you. Nothing that you will do will condemn you because you look to the solution and the solution means there's no condemnation. And if there's no condemnation, 
you can hold the gaze of Jesus with confidence and say thank you. And here's the thing. At the end of the chapter that we don't have time to read in full, there's a conversation between religious people and John the Baptist. It's the last time that we encounter John the Baptist in this gospel. And John is talking about how Jesus must increase and he must decrease because that's his task. And he says this. He says, the Father has placed everything in the hands of the Son and has given him the Spirit without limit. Jesus began by saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again, but it's like catching the wind. How can you catch the wind? The wind's always moving. How can you be born of the Spirit if the Spirit is never in one place? Well, there is a place which is a fountainhead of the Spirit. There is a place where you can go every day to receive a fresh infilling of the Spirit. There is a place that you can go if you've never been born again. And with confidence, you can come and not assume that you're chasing the wind, but you're finding life because Jesus has the Spirit without measure. And so when we look to him, our life is changed. When we look to him, the spirit flows. When we look to him, condemnation melts away. And we are and we know that we're new people. Now we're going to pray in a moment. The band are going to come. We're going to probably put some lights back on. But what's the response today? Well, obviously, the first response is, if you are uncertain as to whether you've been born again, then make today the day that you take what is there in pencil and put it in ink. Make today the day that is the day of certainty. When you look to the Son and know that His life and death is the solution for your eternal destiny. So do that for sure. But what about the rest of us? There are many here who have been born again. What do we do? Well, pray for those who need to be born again, of course. And that would be very pious of you to do that. But what about the thing that Jesus said at the very beginning to Nicodemus? He said, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. That means that if you are born again, you can see the kingdom of God. It's very simple. Are you seeing the kingdom of God? Are you seeing the outbreak of God's miraculous power in your life? If not then come and say to Jesus, Jesus, I've been born again. That means that I can see your kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done right now. Allow the truth 
of the transformation that God has wrought in your life, that God has brought about in your life. Let that transformation be the confidence with which you come to ask for healing. Be the confidence that you come to ask for financial transformation, to give you the confidence to ask for your family to be healthy and healed, for your children to be well, to be on the right track. Let that be the confidence because Jesus makes it clear. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And that means that if you're born again, you can see the kingdom of God. No question. So today, as the band sings, you come. If today is the day when you want to be certain that you've been born again by the Spirit. And you come. If today is the day that you want to experience the benefits of being born again as you see the kingdom of God. You come.